from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. From military pilot to producer. I love to raise pigs. <laughs> I really love it. One veteran's return to the farm. Big things were expected out of Illinois, but what did our I-80 Harvest Tour find? I'm Michelle Rick here in Illinois, where the harvest has produced some mixed results. As USDA makes changes once again to the balance sheet and makes revisions to both corn and soybean yields. Probably the biggest surprise was the corn carryout. What they mean is harvest rolls to the finish right now on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. We have several developing stories we're following this morning, but let's get right to the November supply demand report, which offered up some changes to yields. The USDA raising the size of the corn crop again. Now here's a breakdown. USDA putting corn yields now at over 172 bushels to the acre with production forecasts at almost 14 billion bushels. That's up 35 million from last month. Soybeans now at 50.2 bushels to the acre. Forecasters specifically saying higher yields in Iowa and Missouri account for much of the change. Production, it came in at 4.35 billion bushels. That's up 33 million. The numbers about what was expected from the trade. Corn ending stocks were raised slightly to 1.18 billion, but below trade expectations, with soybean ending stocks raised to 220 million, which was above estimates. The bean carryout grew by about 20 million. That's roughly 5 to 10 million higher than the average trade guess. Probably the biggest surprise was the corn carryout. It only increased by 10 million and the government left exports unchanged. Meanwhile, wheat stocks were lowered 5 million bushels to 571 million. That's the lowest level in 15 years. AgDay's Michelle Rook will have a further breakdown of the numbers along with market reaction coming up in analysis. Another big story right now, we continue to wait on final numbers from the midterm election with the battle for control of Congress coming down to just a handful of critical races. And as we come on the air, some are still too close to call. The main states we're watching, Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia, where a tight contest between incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock and Republican Herschel Walker could go to a December runoff. Now, control of the House also remaining uncertain. Key farm state lawmakers, including House Ag Chairman Democrat David Scott of Georgia and ranking member Republican G.T. Thompson of Pennsylvania, were easily re-elected. Republican Senator John Bozeman of Arkansas won re-election as well, while Georgia's Sanford Bishop and Virginia's Abigail Spanberger were among Democrats winning close races. The I-80 Harvest Tour is brought to you exclusively by Case IH. Case IH equipment is designed, engineered, and built by farmers. See their stories at builtbyfarmers.com. Harvest has gone quickly for farmers in Illinois this fall, thanks to cooperative weather. 94% of soybeans are out of the field. That's compared to the 89% average. Corn harvest stands at 88% done, 3% ahead of normal. Ag Day's Michelle Rook shares some of the results. The harvest season is quickly wrapping up here in Illinois and it's produced some mixed and surprising yield results for farmers. In central Illinois, planting was late for Alex Head and the corn was hit by hot dry conditions during pollination. So the harvest was a pleasant surprise. We did see some tip back, so yeah, I mean, it took probably a little bit off of it, but I mean, overall the corn, no, I mean, can't complain with the yields. So um, it's been, been good so far what we've done and say everybody I've talked to has been happy with their corn yield. 
In northern Illinois, Wade McLaughlin had similar results with timely rains and very little disease pressure. We've been very pleased with our corn yields this year. They're not record setting, um, but well above APH. I would say anywhere from 10 to 20 bushel above APH. And his test weights also added to the yield. So I would say the majority has fallen between 59 and 61. So real pleased with, with our test weights. Farther south, farmer and market analyst Matt Bennett says those trends were true on his farm. So he thinks the statewide corn yields could set a new record. I think Illinois will be better than last year. Is it going to break an all-time record? The final yield, I believe, in 18 was uh, 209. It was printed at 210 at, at one point that growing season, marketing year, you name it. But do we get to 210 or above? I think it's a very possible situation. Soybeans were the opposite, with yields somewhat disappointing compared to expectations due to too much late-season rain and diseases like SDS. A lot of beans in our part of the world were running from the mid-60s to mid-80s. You know, there were some mid-80s, and we had some of them. So they're they're good, above APH and above, but um, not like, exceptional like we thought they might have been. So Bennett, who thought soybean yields in Illinois had a chance of breaking the record, now thinks they'll miss that mark. In Illinois, I'm Michelle Rook for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. Areas in the west in drought needed moisture, and they're getting it in the form of snow right now from California east all the way to the northern plains. A massive winter storm is bringing a lot of snow along with high winds and bitter cold temperatures. And USDA's meteorologist Brad Rippey says that presents problems for livestock owners. The winter coats haven't fully grown in, and at the same time, it's been a really mild autumn. We saw temperatures in the 70s and 80s as recently as last week across some of these areas that could have near blizzard to blizzard conditions later this week. Rippy adds this storm is not a drought breaker. He says further storms like this throughout the winter will be needed to turn things around, but he says this is a great start. Happening right now, Florida is dealing with Nicole as the storm moves inland. Meteorologist Chuck Heaver of Ag Day affiliate WNDU joins us with an update. Chuck. Okay, well, we have a tale of two worlds, a low pressure off to the west moving to the east and a tropical system, Nicole, pushing into the Florida Peninsula. Those two systems eventually will combine and kick it out pretty quick on the east coast. That was a look at your uh, drought monitor, and here's a look at the root zone. I'm going to have your forecast come. Yields in the Fields on Ag Day is brought to you by Micro Essentials from Mosaic, the science of more. Discover our proven products. Text YIELDS to 31313. Yeah, check out the Yields in the Fields in Kingston, Illinois with Tim Hall and Dwayne. A terrific shot at sunset. Dwayne, who took the picture, says Tim is finishing up harvesting corn in DeKalb County. He reports this field pulled 226 bushels to an acre. I'll have more on the forecast coming up. Win the furrow programming on Ag Day is brought to you by InFurrow Leader FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or infurrow.ag.fmc.com to learn more. As the country adjusts to last week's time change and shorter days, soybean farmers can win the furrow by planting earlier and focusing on the longest day of the year. One of the biggest drivers of yield, we think, with early planting is the whole aspect of early soybean flowers and we know that soybean flowering is determined by day length and night length um, so and how that changes through the year if we're planting early 
um, the goal would be to get these beans to flower before the solstice. Um, and as soon as we start those R stages, sometimes we can add a couple pods at the, at the bottom of the plant that we wouldn't otherwise get if we were planting in mid-May or in June. So the, there's kind of two different aspects. The vegetative stages of growth for beans, those are going to accumulate based on heat units and GDUs. Um, and that's pretty linear through the year. So we're going to get three to five nodes a day based on those heat units. Well, it'll be faster if we've got warmer days, slower if we've got cooler days. But that's going to be from start to finish, you know, adding nodes every four days. So if we, the earlier we plant, in the end, the more nodes we're going to have. If we have late planting, there's no way to catch up or add extra nodes to those plants. And with flowering, it's going to be triggered more by sunlight and day length. So when the bean, as soon as the beans emerge, those first unifoliate leaves can sense the pigments in the plant. They kind of tell it what time of the year it is. And when we get those beans emerged early, um, it starts to sense that day length and night length, and those beans will be triggered to flower. So in, in 45 and 60 days, if we have flowers that first show up uh, because they're induced when the leaves are first out, and then we see the actual flowers you know, about a month later whenever we get to that R1 growth stage. So typically in this area, if we're planting in mid-April, we'd hope to see flowers 60 days later in mid to early June. Between election results and USDA's Wadzi report, Wednesday markets were mixed. We'll have details next and later meet a veteran that utilized his experience in the military to help manage a life on the farm in the country. Corn, wheat, and cotton all lower following the latest supply demand report. Michelle Rook joins us with a closer look at markets. Joining us with market and report analysis, Jim Nellinger with Blue Reef Ag Marketing. Well, let's talk about corn first, an increase in yield and production, but ending stocks only ended up 10 million bushels above last month, which almost seemed like a victory considering how poor exports have been. Yeah, a, a little bit of a victory. If you remember back a month ago, the USDA did some pretty severe cutting on the uh, export number. And, and so I think they felt for the time being they were uh, in the ballpark. They didn't need to change that much more. And then, you know, you counter that with still pretty strong domestic demand here, both from a feed side and the ethanol side. And I, I think for this time in the in the process, uh, the USDA kind of felt they were good kind of staying, um, you know, neutral as far as any major demand changes one way or the other. And soybeans, we did see an increase in ending stocks there with production and yield also being increased. But Again, 220 million bushels is still pretty tight historically, isn't it? Uh, it really is. It doesn't leave a lot of margin for air. They bumped the uh, you know, domestic crush pace higher by 10 million bushels. There's probably some evidence that uh, they needed to do that. Maybe that can continue higher in the end of the year uh, as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they went up. The yields were up a tick, yeah. uh, just a small increase in the carryout, but still relatively tight. There's not much margin for air here, especially given the strong domestic demand situation. But the world numbers were upped, and that's where maybe you have a concern, right? Yeah, longer term. I, you know, I, I just think that the, we, the longer we go, the closer we are to this uh, monstrous uh, Brazilian crop potential. You know, Conab was out here uh, earlier, and they increased their planted acreage uh, a fair amount. And now they also have the uh, production pegged at 153 and change. That's a massive crop. There's some talk that could even get up to... 156 with the right weather conditions 
I crunch that out. You know, I, I'm not good at converting uh, bushels to metric tons. A 156 metric, a million metric ton crop uh, is a 5.7 billion bushel bean crop. It's a massive number. They're not there yet. They're just finishing up planting. They got a long way to go. But that is the kind of the elephant in the room that's uh, looming out in front of us. But do we stay sideways now here in corn and beans? I think sideways. Um, you know, you look at where we're at here, November 9th. Um, so harvest getting wrapped up. I think it was a little late. We're getting this harvest glut, I think, is part of the problem uh, with the weakness in corn. I do okay. think we stay in the range, maybe have a chance by the end of the year to get up towards the top end of the recent ranges here, back up towards 7 and, and 15 bucks on the beans. All right, thanks for your analysis. Chip Nellinger, Blue Reef Agri Marketing, more Ag Day coming up. Farming has changed. Markets are riskier than ever. For customized, focused commodity marketing, contact Chip Nellinger or Adam Dreyer at 309-550-7213. Now through November 22nd, Ag Saver Glyphosate, 53.8%, starting at $29.44 per gallon when you pay with cash. Visit fbn.com direct. Prices subject to change. Terms and conditions apply. Well, like I said, we have a tale of two worlds. We have a low pressure system that's moving across the country. That's going to bring in this powerful cold front. And down to the south and east, we have a tropical system. Nicole moving into the Florida Peninsula. Taking a look at the jet stream energy, you can see that system gets picked up. The cold front meets it and kicks it off the east coast pretty rapidly over the next couple days, but it's going to lay down some precipitation on the east coast as the week moves along. Then we're going to see below normal temperatures on the east side of the United States, and it's going to be chilly. It's going to be about 10 to 15 degrees in the Midwest below where it normally would be. Here's future radar shows the storm. Nicole pushing on to the Florida Peninsula, then going up into Georgia. It's going to lay down a lot of heavy rain in that area. There's the cold front. Those two things collide, and then it quickly gets pulled up and out of the east coast. Here's the wind gust forecast over the next two days. So you see the winds coming in in association with that storm. Then those slide up the east coast. And so it's going to be a nasty day over the next couple days as that storm pushes out. Precipitation estimates. So a lot of rain and a lot of precipitation along the east coast with that. For the high temperature today, it looks like 75 degrees over in Chicago, mild still, but you can see the cold air off to the northwest. That slides its way. Temperatures in the morning in Chicago at 26 degrees, so it's going to feel like winter. And then afterward with the frontal passage, you can see that cold air intruding into the southern part of the country. So it's going to be an interesting week with those two systems, but let's go closer to home. Cape Canaveral, Florida, hurricane or tropical storm conditions expected 81 for the high and out in Greenville, North Carolina, 73 for the high and Pyramid Lake, Nevada, high 37 degrees, mostly sunny. Cattle feeders seeing some improved margins right now. We have the latest numbers next. Plus how life in the military and life on the farm helped a Missouri man succeed at both in the country.
Cattle feeding margins are now through the $200 per head barrier for the first time since well before the pandemic. These numbers coming from the Sterling Beef Profit Tracker. Cattle last week traded for a national average of $152.75 per hundredweight. That's the highest price in seven years, adding up to average profits of $207 per head. That's $20 per head higher than the previous week. Estimated beef packer margins were $70 per head, up $4 from the previous week and down 90% from the estimated margins a year ago. Fines could be coming to some ranchers in California for violating orders to cut back on water use during a water standoff last summer. Cal Matters reporting officials may impose a $4,000 fine on ranchers in Siskiyou County. It would amount to about $50 per rancher. A rural water association that serves about 80 ranchers and farmers in the area turned on their pumps for eight days in August in order to divert water from the Shasta River. State and federal officials say the act violated an emergency state order and threatened the quality of the river. Now, one rancher who is also a member of the water association says violating the order was, quote, the cheapest way I could have got by. When you're to the point where you have no other choice, you do what you have to do, end quote. The proposed fine requires a 20-day waiting period or a hearing before it's enforced. Veterans Day is Friday as the nation honors those who serve. We'll hear from a Missouri veteran about how his time in the military prepared him for life on the farm in the country. Now through November 22nd, Willowwood Glufosinate 280SL starting at $59.84 per gallon when you pay with cash. Visit fbn.com direct. Price is subject to change. Terms and conditions apply. Tomorrow is Veterans Day, and as we salute all veterans, we want to bring you the story of one farmer who's led a life of service. As Farm Journal's Tyne Morgan explains. Strike up a conversation with Scott Phillips. I love to raise pigs. <laughs> I really love it and you'll quickly experience a passion that's contagious. I went to the University of Missouri and I graduated in 1983. And uh, I came from the farm here and started there and always wanted to get back to the farm. And with that, life took yet another turn. My dad was in the uh, Air Force. He was Air Force Reserves, flew C-130s out of Richards Gebauer. And I thought, well, I do love to fly. He says by the grace of God, he was accepted into the pilot program at the age of 26. But I finally got in the Air Force and I thought, I really enjoy flying. I still want to get back to the farm though. I was going to fly C-130s and out of Pete Field, the Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado Springs. And they had A-10s up here at Richards Gebauer. Richards Gebauer Air Force Station was in Belton, Missouri, only 40 miles from his home farm. And by chance, Phillips crossed paths with someone while in training one day. I just met a guy that looked like his mom just died. He looked like death warmed over. And I, and I asked, hey, what's wrong with you? You look terrible. And he goes, well, I did not get fighter qualified. And I'm supposed to, I was sent here by an F-4 squadron. And I thought, and I said, well, hey, if you want to, maybe you could take my slot on C-130s and I could maybe try and go fly the A-10 out of Richards Gebauer. Just totally off the cuff there. Flying over Bosnia in a peacekeeping mission to other ventures as a fighter pilot. As a reservist, he was able to fly less and be on the farm with his family more. I was able to do both of those actually concurrently during the 90s and then, then I ended up getting out of the Air Force and just sticking with 
raising my family and raising pigs. A Mizzou grad turned fighter pilot who's now a passionate pig farmer. And he says farming and serving in the military are entwined more than you might think. A lot of people that are in the military grew up on the farm. I think there's just the sense of community, the sense, not a sense of entitlement, but a sense of sacrifice. All right, thanks, Time. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Agate, I'm Clint Grimace. Have a great day on the Farm Country.